beer of the week this week is Victory Brewing. It is located just outside of Philadelphia, which fits this week because we are going over the NFC East, or as we like to call it, the NFC Beast. And a quick, before we get in, quick shout out to Steve, our host. It's his birthday. Happy birthday, Steve. Appreciate you, Jacob. We're back on Perfect Takes. I'm your host, Steven, joined by my co-host, Jacob, and special guest, Colin Dumphy, to break down the NFC East. I'd argue this is the best division in the NFC, especially after they sent three teams to the playoffs last year. Dallas will look to dethrone Philadelphia for the division title. Shockingly enough, we haven't seen a team win back-to-back division titles since the Eagles did it back in 2001 to 2004 under Reed and McNabb. Now, before we dive into each of these rosters and their playoff chances, the Washington franchise is finally under new management. Here to break down the sale of the team, we have Colin joining us. What are your thoughts on the investment group led by Josh Harris? Uh, yeah, uh, well, thanks again for having me. Um, just super excited to have a responsible leadership in charge. Uh, you know, a strong background in analytics. And, you know, he, he says all the right things with, uh, you know, treating people right and, and, and building up from the employees. So from an organizational standpoint, I'm just super excited about that. Um, and, you know, uh, it, we, we were definitely hoping for it to happen earlier in the season, but, um, you know, at this point, there still is a couple opportunities for maybe some, some things that he could have, you know, have an effect on. So, uh, you know, just even more in tune to what's happening. Absolutely. And while new management and a new organizational structure as a whole is the best improvement this franchise could have made this offseason, the coaching staff and the offense also improved. They added Eric Bieniemy uh, as the new offensive coordinator and assistant head coach, and that should allow the offense to improve as a whole. They also signed Jacoby Brissett to be to be backup quarterback, I mean, eventually he might start, but I think right now they said Howell is the starter. Uh, but Jacoby Brissett is very capable. He had a very good year last year for Cleveland. I would say he was the better of the two starters there. And uh, while Howell is said to be the starter, at the very least, Brissett is a good backup option. Yeah, no, whoever the quarterback is, they'll have two premier talents at wide receiver to throw the ball to and Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson. McLaurin tied for 15th overall in ESPN's wide receiver score last year with Chase and Boyd, which isn't bad company to have, and he averaged about 2.2 yards per route run. For reference, Dotson was about the 55th best pass catcher last year, and which is not bad for a rookie. He has phenomenal hands with the ability to generate yards after the catch. Where I would love to see Dotson's game to improve is with creating separation from defenders, which should come with time as he adjusts to the speed of the NFL and how defensive play certain coverages. I personally think that uh, Dotson is a great complement to what McLaurin and Curtis Samuel each bring, respectively. I don't think his game necessarily relies upon gaining separation, as he's proven to catch really anything thrown his way and use his frame to play bigger than he is. Uh, but I think he'll certainly improve with another year under his belt and hopefully more stable play calling and QB play overall this year. Where I am concerned, however, on the offense is with the O-line. It does have three new starters and uh, Chris Paul, not the uh, not the who, the Warriors point guard now. He's a left <laughs> guard. Uh, Nick Gates from the Giants and Andrew Wiley, who won a Super Bowl with the Chiefs last year at right tackle. Uh, Sam Cosme, I believe he's the third year out of Texas, the right tackle last year, 
He's projected by our lads to be the starting right guard. It's kind of like a game of musical chairs for a group that was 27th in pass block win rate last year and 19th in ESPN's run block win rate. It's not very good. That's, that's just not very good. And they're starting left tackle Charles Leno. He's going into his 10th season, and uh, his last Pro Bowl season was back in 2018 with the Chicago Bears. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, um, I, I'm a big fan of Logan Paulson. He's a former tight end here uh, at, for Washington, and he's a current analyst. Um, he has gone to all the, the training camps, and you know, I've, I've, I went today actually, and, and I, I saw, I think to myself, what he's been talking about a lot, which was, uh, you know, just a general effort to try and make it easy on the tackles, um, you know, the outside tackles, um, offensive tackles, pardon me. Um, like Wiley and and Leno, you know, who are, are not like you know going to be winning any awards this year, probably. So, um, I similar to Mike to Kyle Shanahan, I think if you're approaching it from that direction of like, how does he make life easier on his his offensive line? You know, he's like limiting the amount of pure dropbacks. Um, you know, putting the uh, QB on the move, doing. Um, you know, play actions and rollouts. So like, it'll probably look a little different. It's like more screens, uh, RPOs, because uh, Sam Howell has a, a fit with that. Uh, but, you know, like using rollouts, getting him on the move uh, and, and just kind of like being creative with the misdirection and, and, and taking advantage of, you know, just simple like alignment stuff, you know, bunches, uh, um, stacks and, and, and movement. Um, so like, you know, all of that I think ends up having the potential to have a Kyle Shanahan effect on the offensive line, which is what I would be hoping for. Um, and um, which would be necessary, frankly, you know, I mean, it is, it's the glaring weakness. And, you know, I, I loved uh, when we talked about uh, kind of this in our pre pre discussion, you know, yesterday, um, you know, this was kind of something you guys thought that Ron Rivera has done before, you know, like, maybe not super invest in, in the offensive line and, and hope for some things to kind of like gel as they go. So uh, definitely what I'll be watching. Absolutely. I think Eric Bieniemy is a big upgrade to Scott Turner. I think if they're going to be a very efficient offense this year, they have to do exactly like what you said. They're going to have to use RPOs, rollouts, different things to get uh, pretty much how out of the pocket and on the move away from some of those bigger defenders and allows time for guys to get open down the field. So some of that stuff could really play out to his benefit, which would be awesome. Um, we watched the enemy help design the offense. Mahomes has flourished in. To be fair, though, Andy Reid was still the play caller in that offense. So with the offensive reins, we'll see how the enemy fares with some promising young talent. But as we've already talked about a lot, they kind of have that porous offensive line. And that is the biggest glaring need on the offensive side. Yeah, I think the uh, enemy will get a pretty fair shot this year on the offensive side of the ball. And while the offense is undergoing a a makeover a little bit, which is something that a lot of teams that we've discussed so far in these division breakdowns are doing. The, de the defense is still pretty strong, and I think it got even stronger with their early additions in the draft. When we did the uh, pre-draft kind of episodes, Steve and I, our two main concerns for this team heading into the offseason were offensive line and the corner room, and Washington addressed DBs uh, with a purpose early in the draft. The additions of Emmanuel Forbes and Quan Martin should be Quan Martin, excuse me, should bolster a back end that should be good enough to complement their stout defensive line. That defense was first in opponent third down percentage conversion last year, and it should be even better. 
Yeah, um, you know, with with Ron Rivera being the head coach, you know, like uh, this, I think, is his last shot, maybe in, you know, in Washington. And um, we're hopefully seeing, you know, the final form of his defense, which is like really like why he's here, you know. Um, so like, whereas maybe, you know, as a fan and, um, you know, like I like analytics and like I probably just whatever, for whatever reason, I like leaning more towards the offensive side, and, you know. Um, you know, I think it's important to like give every organization a shot, you know, to like actually see their, their, their vision through. And, um, you know, the addition of the, these guys on the back end who, um, you know, I, I, it, it was a big investment for Washington to take a, a safety in second round. Like they've never, well, a Ron Rivera team has never taken a safety higher than the fourth. They've never really, um, you know, paid a lot of money to one. I think that's like a change on their end. And, and yeah, like just this, um, you know, final form, if you will, you know, for the, for the defense and they, they could definitely lead the, the team. And if you don't have a great quarterback, you know, like that might be, there's, there is a path, I think for, uh, you know, like the, the, a defensive led team to, to kind of, um, um, to be that, that way. So, uh, I, I'm hopeful. Yeah, no, I mean, Emmanuel Forbes is uber talented, a uh, guy they drafted in the first round. I think what's crazy is when you look at another guy that they invested a, a very high pick in second overall pick one defensive rookie of the year and chase young, the past two years, he's only played a combined 12 games. And Washington didn't pick up his fifth year option, which this leads into a contract year for Young. And so will he be able to deliver and prove that he was not only why he was drafted so high, but also that he's worth a big contract extension? Because we just saw Payne get money. Uh, Montez Sweat is going to be up shortly. Actually, did Sweat already get paid? Uh, not yet. Not yet. So it's it's those edge rushers right there that could easily get a big payday. And we'll get more into some of that stuff because we have Cameron Curl to talk about. But um, about Payne's extension, do you have any thoughts on that? You think it was a fair deal? Uh, he could have negotiated a little bit more. How, how do you feel it felt? Um, yeah, so, you know, I'm a PFF guy. Uh, I think especially if you're looking at like line play, they're probably more dependable with their line play. And, you know, he graded out really well, uh, Deron Payne, you know, in terms of his pass rush. Uh, but, you know, with his um, run stopping, you know, like that was really poor last year. I think it was like in the 30s or something. And, um, you know, like I think maybe two years ago, he just kind of made a shift. I don't know if it was conscious or whatever to be more pass rush oriented. Um, I, I don't, I, I have no reason to suspect that's not what the, the team is asking them to do. Um, you know, like that one gap system, getting up field, uh, playing the uh, run on the way to the quarterback and all that stuff. Like um, I, he, they probably did exactly what they wanted. And for them, you know, it was probably a, a no brainer, but like, I, I do have concerns over, you know, just kind of like that steady grade of, you know, like, um, you know, if he regresses to his play previous to last year, well, the grade I understand is, is pretty similar. What happens was his, his sack rate, you know, just, you know, was higher. So like, you know, sacks are less, um, uh, dependable than pressures and so you know if yeah that 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 has the potential to kind of like sour out uh and like i mean the way you guys talked about it last yesterday you know in, in terms of 
that was one of the stories of Ron Rivera's tenure there, you know, right? It's like, you know, he kind of maybe overpaid some of his veterans. And, yeah, so yeah. it's something no, I he, about a little bit. He, he, he had his guys in the building, which is great. You want a locker room presence, but you should never overpay for having that. You should always pay for talent. Absolutely. I think the uh, the Jonathan Allen, Duran Payne, Bama duo in the interior of that defensive line really uh, really sets the tone for the defense. And the defense as a whole uh, is full of talent. They're projected to start six first-round picks. Uh, Allen Payne, we've talked about uh, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, uh, Jamin Davis as a linebacker, and then this year with Emmanuel Forbes. This is a pretty classic Ron Rivera approach to invest in the defense and kind of leave the offense uh, needing more. Their only first-round pick during his tenure is Jahan Dotson. And to kind of wrap up uh, the Washington franchise, uh, as of right now, they're, they're the commanders. We could get a name change. We don't know. But what happens whatever on the whatever happens on the football field this season doesn't matter. I think the fans and employees of this team have already gotten the biggest win that they could have hoped for with the sale of the team. Moving forward, I do expect there to be improvement across the board uh, from the facilities and the franchise image. I know uh, Washington didn't have the greatest, uh, what was it, franchise report card during free agency. I think that should improve moving forward. And that and the football decision makers and the team as a whole, that should all improve uh, moving forward now that there's new management coming in. I'm just skeptical of the team having too much on-field success this season. Yeah, this isn't the first time Rivera has had to be the bridge coach between ownership changes. He was with Carolina when David Tepper purchased the franchise from Jerry Richardson back in 2018. Rivera was terminated at the end of the 2019 season, so I'd expect the new ownership group to kind of handpick their guy moving forward in the 2024. Now, it will definitely depend on how this season ends. If they make the playoffs, I could definitely see them keeping Rivera for another year. Uh, especially that would probably lead us to assume that Howell performed really, really well. Biennemi did really, really well. And you kind of have a cohesive group moving forward. We did have a question come in for this podcast asking about Cameron Curl and a possible extension. OTC currently appraises his value at a little over $2 million, which would put him kind of in the Terrell Edmonds, Keanu Neal range this past offseason. I would say if Curl wants to bet on himself, he could potentially negotiate a deal in the four to six million range uh, for uh, for each year. So like an annual average value. And that would put him around Nick Scott, Jordan Whitehead, Marcus Epps. Uh, and I could see that deal kind of being signed next offseason if he was to stay with the team. Now, if he tested free agency, Colin, I, I know that his contract projection may actually be a bit higher if he hits the open market. Yeah, PFF's uh, Brad Spielberger, uh, who's just been killing it, um, you know, recently of, of note, but also, you know, just in general, just great work. But um, his contract projection is for three years, 40 million, um, which is, you know, near the market. It's like a top 10, top 10 uh, contract. So um, they have PFF have always consistently graded him highly in their composite. Um, so you know, when you're, when you're looking at like his uh, tackling ability, his missed tackle rates, his coverage rates, um, those are all league leading. And um, generally, I think you can kind of describe him as somebody who doesn't make mistakes. He's not going to make a lot of splashy plays. He may not have a lot of the traits that lead to a lot of splashy plays, 
Uh, and that's why he was in the seventh round. You know, like I think his Raz score is around six or something. Um, he's super tall, given that. Uh, but six uh, three. Um, so Kyle you Hamilton know, I, back there, right? Um, you know, so like I I think you can make the argument you know, that that three for forty is like pretty reasonable if you um, decide that you value a, a system that or a player in that position that doesn't make mistakes. Uh, as opposed to someone you know who's gonna like, be more splashy, like a Derwin James, um, and and you know like with his draft history being in the seventh round, it does kind of keep him down. You, it's like a chicken and the egg thing again. It's like you know he doesn't have the traits that you would expect of a first rounder, uh, you know. But like if you, yeah, you could make the argument that his production could could indicate like a, even potentially a higher value. <laughs> now I am a, I am a. a, a a homer in, in many regards uh and cam curl is one of my like i just like to put that out there like i do I, I think he is just great like the team plays better around him and if you as you know like uh, kind of like a john bostic one of the arguments for him you know if you have a, a a front four that's just so freaky and and like inexperienced you want to have somebody on the team that is well you know can can guide everyone in the right direction and, and cam curl might be that glue so it's like a you know um, that, that, that's, that's my, my take on curl to, to get him paid as much as possible. <laughs> Absolutely. I think he fits uh, really well with that, uh, talented defense and, uh, he should be, if they choose to pay him, he'll be a good, uh, leader from them moving forward. And now moving on to a team that, uh, is already in their new era. The giants are looking to build off the su success that they sustained last year during Brian Dable's first year as head coach. People are quick to forget that this roster uh, in New York was considered one of the worst in the league heading into last year. Brian Dable and that coaching staff worked miracles and exceeded expectations. I think the Giants roster heading into 2023 is approaching average status. On the offensive side, they are led by recently extended quarterback Daniel Jones. He signed a $160 million deal. Uh, over four years, which ranks 11th in annual average value. While this seems like a long-term commitment, the Giants could move on from Jones in two years with a dead cap hit of only $18 million. So they did invest a lot into him, but it was very much structured like a Derek Carr deal was last offseason, where the team can move on from him relatively quickly uh, compared to what the uh, first uh, contract details that get blasted by Schefter um, when they come out. Yeah, I, I mean, I think uh, Dable did a tremendous job getting the most out of Daniel Jones last year. I think he also got a lot out of the real star on their offense, Saquon Barkley. But unlike Jones, Saquon wasn't really rewarded for his efforts long, long term. That kind of brings us to this whole uh, debate that's been going on the past couple of weeks with uh, Saquon and the running backs. Uh, while Saquon kind of took on like on the face of this whole running back empowerment change movement, I believe he and uh, maybe Austin Eckler organized the whole Zoom call with the top running backs. Um, the deal he signed didn't really amount to any gains uh, for the running back position or community. I know he did get some, uh, what was it, some incentives and I believe one or two more million in guarantees. Uh, so it was a marginal raise, but it was hardly a win for the position in my opinion. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'll have to add, um, just some points from Jason Fitzgerald on there. You know, he said in his recent podcast that 
um, there really is no free agency for running backs. And, you know, I, I've done some projects under this uh, Twitter handle cash over um, cap. Um, Give it a follow guys. Give it a follow. Yeah, appreciate you. Um, so like, you know, it's mostly just focused on kind of that, the, the difference in those two values. Um, and I, I looked at like the free agency and basically, you know, of the top 10 highest paid running backs, uh, nine of them were extended through their team. You know, like they, if you're hitting free agency, you're not getting a big contract. Uh, you have to be extended or traded in some other way. And so like, there's probably just a few, you know, like a handful of teams that are like in that market and it's always going to be <coughs> Falcons. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you know, God bless them. I mean, I, I love the diversity and the uniqueness of, uh, of all these, uh, play schemes and stuff like that. Um, uh, you know, Ron Rivera has pressed that, uh, this is me trying to cope, um, continuing with the, the run, run pass. Um, but yeah, so like, I, I think, um, you know, like Saquon Barkley's market is just kind of like stuck with that, you know, being around 10 or $11 million. And it's probably going to be like that for, for all running backs, like time come. Um, I also had another thought on Andrew Thomas's extension. Um, you know, I, again, I like kind of like recycle uh, Jason Fitzgerald's takes, you know, but um, again, like going back to my cash over cap, uh, you know, perspective, uh, his cash over cap number is 1.72. I'm sorry, the ratio. So he has, um, you know, $16 million in his uh, cash this year uh, and only $9.2 million in his uh, cap number. But like, even before me telling you those numbers, which are low, if I just say his cash over cap ratio is 1.72, um, you know, like that's telling you that it's like a different type of extension, you know, like four and five year extensions we've seen uh, have a cash cap ratio of like three to four, you know, like you have a, a big signing bonus in that first year and like a low cap hit. So, you know, this number being, you know, half of that is, a, I think, an immediate indication that, you know, he's getting money slower. Um, and, you know, you tie that into the fact that it's a seven year total deal, uh, which I just still can't wrap my head around. Um, this is like a great deal for the, um, for the giants. Um, and you know, like in three or four years, it'll be way out, out, out of market value. Um, so I, uh, I, I like it for them. You know, he's 24 years old. All the other highest paid, um, tackles are, are, are much older. So, um, they've got a great value. I think you hit the head on the nail. Um, unlike the, the running back position, uh, tackles do get paid. They're one of the premium positions out there. And like you talked about, a lot of these players that sign these four or five year extensions, they have a cap to cash ratio above three. And Orlando Brown's the biggest example of that. So when you get a guy like Andrew Thomas, who is a late bloomer, uh, granted, he's only 24 years old, so it's not really fair to say late bloomer. It just took him a year or two to kind of get immersed into the NFL, get acquainted with the speed and really hone in on what he does best. And a guy that I think is going to kind of do the same thing in that system is Evan Neal, who didn't have the best rookie year, but he's anchoring down that right tackle position. I think with another year underneath his belt, uh, then bringing in J.C. Hossner, I believe, who was the Steelers center last year, and then drafting their starter, John Michael Schmitz, starts kind of anchoring and solidifying the interior, which is really what you need to do to protect Daniel Jones, 
pave the way for Saquon or whoever that future running back is and uh, really hammer home. The reason why running backs aren't getting paid is after about year four or five, their production drops off. Where like tackles, you lock in a guy like Andrew Thomas for the next seven years, they sometimes hit their prime as they get closer to 30, which is exactly what you want out of these players. So I think they have their, their tackles of the future, which is going to be great for years to come. I think we forget that with Andrew Thomas, it really took him towards the end of his second year to really fully blossom. And then, of course, last year, he was great. I mean, he's probably the best young tackle in the league. So if Evan Neal has a similar uh, trajectory, I don't think that I don't think there's any uh, need for concern there. And that that Andrew Thomas extension, it kind of reminds me of back in the day when the Cowboys extended Tyron Smith. They're getting a good young player for what? seven years i mean mm -hmm. he's still on his rookie deal but five-year extension with that that's going to be a steal and overall i think the o-line should hopefully improve and uh in regards to their offense i also feel obligated to mention that since this is the giants they signed like every available slot receiver in the league so it's going to be interesting to see uh who they deploy and how they deploy each player i mean they they did re-sign isaiah hodgins who's going to be one of their outside receivers hopefully uh, they cut Kenny Galladay. They signed Paris Campbell, drafted Jalen Hyatt, who plays a lot out of the slot. They just recently signed uh, Cole Beasley, who's going to have a reunion with Brian Dable. Then they still have uh, Wandale Robinson, another slot guy. And then they're bringing in Darren Waller to pair with Daniel Bellinger, uh, which should kind of boost the whole 12 personnel movement that Steve's been talking about. Um, yeah, so... I'm a, you know, a, a new Chiefs and Andy Reid fan and uh, trying to learn as much as I can about that. And Mike Kafka, you know, the, the OC for uh, the Giants is, is from that tree. And he's actually kind of one of the more open coaches who talks about what he's trying to do. He's appeared on uh, the Make Defense Great Again podcast um, with Coach Vass. Uh, actually, no, pardon me. That was the Run Vass option. His two Run Vass option podcast. Um, and he did a space recently. But like you know, he wants to build the offense around his players. He wants to accentuate what makes them good. And like, you know, he talks about like their personalities. And I just thought that's so cool. You know, it's definitely what we talk about more in uh, the shifting in the offense as it comes to designing around uh, quarterbacks. And we, I think we saw that with Daniel Jones, you know, like he, he even said in this space that like his, one of his favorite moments, you know, it's like McVeigh on the play callers, you know, it's like, um, when Daniel Jones had this like uproarious uh, applause at like the end of the season, that was like his moment when he was like, you know, like he felt, you know, like he'd, he'd done a good job and uh, legitimately, you know, I mean, you know, Jones got paid uh, as a big result of that. So um, I, I love what they're doing. I hope Washington can take a little bit of that magic and keep that coming for us. Um, but as so much of it revolves around, I think, yeah, like Jones being, Jones, you know, uh, continuing to do what makes him great. And a large part of that is on the ground. And um, last point on that, like, you know, the ringer uh, did a great study on the effectiveness of scrambles having like five times the EPA uh, of like any just like drop back pass. So it was like 0.5 um, EPA per scramble. Um, so I mean, you know, the we've all known that, you know, like, I think the anecdotal fan would just be like, yeah, for sure. You know, like picking up third downs 
uh, in like third and short with your feet. Like that, that's a great thing to do to keep drives going and, and eventually score points. Um, so like, you know, Daniel Jones being able to do that, um, I think is super valuable. And, you know, the, the worst thing they could do would like pull back on that uh, because of his contract. So I'll just be as an impartial fan. I'm kind of like cheering that they like stay aggressive in that way. I couldn't agree more. I think uh, as fans, as football fans in general, we, we try to put QBs in this box of, hey, you need to drop back and pass. But in reality, the league is evolving and quarterbacks are evolving to where their athleticism is so important. For, like for a guy like Jones, I know uh, during his uh, first couple of years, he wasn't the greatest in the pocket. But really last year, uh, I think his rushing talents were on full display and that really helped his passing game. And I think that uh, as offenses evolve, I think we really need to keep that in mind with quarterbacks like Jones or like Justin Fields, for example. But moving on to the defense, I think the secondary should be a lot better. Uh, they're going to be bouncing back from a lot of injuries. They added Deontay Banks in the first round to pair with Xavier McKinney and Adoree Jackson. They did lose Julian Love. I believe he went to Seattle. He was a sneaky, uh, pretty decent player last year. But as a whole, I think uh, the unit should be a big improvement for the defense. I feel like when you have a defensive coordinator like Martindale, uh, they're going to be able to get the most out of some of those guys that you sign on those vet men deals. So it, it does definitely suck to lose a Julian Love, but when you bring in a Deontay Banks, you really hope that kind of what he brings will offset that. And the defensive line is really going to pave the way. It's solid. They have Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, probably the best pass rushing nose tackle. And then they just drafted Kayvon Thibodeau, who's amazing. I think he might end up being the best edge rusher out of the class last year when you saw Aiden Hutchinson and Trayvon Walker go before him. They added Ashawn Robinson this past offseason, who will be a good rotational piece on the interior. So I think moving forward, the Giants, what they really need to look to do is add another premier talent opposite of Thibodeau. I think when you can have two of those guys coming off the edge, it just creates a nightmare for offensive lines and quarterbacks and it's one of those things that 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 wears into a game to where come the third fourth quarter quarterback doesn't want to get hit and a lot of times he's making mistakes because he's either getting out of the pocket or he's throwing the ball into tighter windows um yeah i just did a study and i i, I kind of haven't put it out but <laughs> i was surprised to see that the Giants are so highly invested in the defensive tackle position um, with uh, Leonard Williams and, and Dexter Lawrence. Um, and Ishan Robinson has like a decent contract too, you know, so, and they even actually drafted a, a, another defensive tackle in the sixth round. Um, so like, to me, I was, you know, I, it, I feel like they're sending a signal that's a super important part of how they want to build their team. It makes sense in the NFC East, you know, um, uh, but like probably more importantly, you know, it, it, it makes sense for Daniel Jones, you know, like the, he's not going to be like ringing up the scoreboard. And, you know, if you have a, a, a run control offense, you know, you being able to stop the run, you know, kind of doing that old school football, uh, I think. Um, and, 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 you know, we see that definitely like in the general trends of, you know, more too high shells uh, and more uh, and light boxes, you need to be stronger uh, stealing gaps back in, in different ways with, with those defensive tackles. So, um, I, I, I like what they're doing. It does seem unique. And, um, uh, as a, as a defense, you know, like with Wink Martindale, like I'm, I'm always interested in, in kind of cheering him on. I think he's a great coach. 
Absolutely. Uh, Dave Gettleman may not be there anymore, but seems like they're still getting their hog mollies. I was wondering uh, oh, if you were going to get the hog mollies in. That's what I, I was I had for. to. I had to, you know. But uh, with the Giants, I, my main theme is that uh, they're in a division with two juggernaut rosters in the Cowboys and the Eagles. And Washington's a pretty good roster in its own right. They're just stuck in the same division. And to me, I don't know if they got too much better from their big additions. You know, Philly is coming off of a Super Bowl berth, still has a very good roster despite some losses. The Cowboys have another good roster, and they've added some good vets to key positions as well as some good young players. I just don't know if the Giants have enough power to compete with those two teams. They're a tough team to kind of like put my finger on. You know, I think they overexceeded a lot of expectations last year. And, you know, like from my spending perspective, uh, you know, I, I love this study that they did at over, t- at, uh, over the cap um, where they looked at the five-year spending history of the past five years. And you would see that um, they spend about 100% of the cap, which is like last in the division, actually. So they're um, not big spenders recently. Uh, but this year they're spending like 11% over that. Uh, so, you know, they're, they seem to be kind of going for it. And when you look at, I mean, we talk about this draft project that I did, um, you know, trying to d- determine, you know, surplus value, um, the teams that weren't going after surplus value, I'm kind of making the, coming to the conclusion that they were super after needs. And I think the Giants were, were uh, among those, you know, uh, the first three picks fit, you know, Phil clear needs. Adoree Jackson is on the last year of his contract, um, and and Wink Martindale has a specific request. So, you know, on the one hand, it seems like they're still changing to a new system. Um, you know, Dayball and and, and Martindale. Um, they're also like going for it. They're spending more than they have in the past. Uh, they're filling clear needs. Um, you know, like for the near immediate present and like the center and. And, and wide receiver. Um, so uh, I, I, I think they have a chance to kind of surprise people. Um, and, you know, they, they probably want to go for it more than people realize. Uh, and then the question is like, you know, what happens if it doesn't come through? I mean, I, I think the two year window is probably what we, you know, we expect to see these days. And uh, so maybe they'll, they'll rehash or, or, or double down, but like, um, I'm excited to see what they do. Absolutely. And going off that two-year window, it's so pivotal because we saw Dable in year one kind of bring in some of his guys. They're cleaning the roster a little bit. And after this year, you're really going to start seeing a roster that is in the image of Dable and Martindale and all these guys and bringing in guys that are going to play within their system and scheme. So it's really cool to always see that in new regimes. Uh, The offense appears to be in a much better place than it was last year. I think they revamped the wide receiver room through free agency in the draft. And they traded for a tight end in Waller, who will be a mismatch for defenses. So this puts more options around Daniel Jones, which should help Dable and Kafka scheme up easy buttons in the offense. Because it just seemed last year that they 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 were trying to wheel and deal with the little few pieces that they had because Wandale Robinson was injured. They ship out Kadarius Tony. Galladay was kind of a bum. So now when you have more effective guys, it's I think that they're going to still be in contention for a wild card spot. I just think this team is a year or two away from being a contender for the division title. I agree. Um, the NFC is weak as a whole, so they absolutely could sneak in as a wild card team. 
I just don't know if they'll be contending for that division title with uh, the Philadelphia Eagles and with the Dallas Cowboys, who fired Kellen Moore this past year for some reason, I guess. Uh, and with that, the onus is now on Mike McCarthy, uh, since he's going to be calling plays. He doesn't have any more excuses. He doesn't. And say, say what you will about McCarthy. I think he's awful at game managing. However, I'm getting kind of tired of the Brian Schottenheimer disrespect. <laughs> to quote Chris Collinsworth, now, here's a guy who was the OC for the Jets from 26 to 2011, or 2006 to 2011, who got the most out of Mark Sanchez with two deep playoff runs in 2009 and 2010. After that stint, we saw him in St. Louis under Jeff Fisher from 2012 to 2014, and he worked with the likes of Sam Bradford, Kellen Clemens, and Austin Davis. Before that, unit completely imploded over the following two seasons, leading to the firing of Fisher and the start of the McVeigh era. Yeah, he's been everywhere. He, uh, he was even Georgia's offensive coordinator in 2015, and then he got back into the league as the Colts hired him as the QB's coach from 2016 to 2017 which gave him another opportunity at being an offensive coordinator in Seattle. He spent the next three, season call, three seasons calling plays for the Seahawks, and they ranked top 10 in points scored all three years. It was sixth, ninth, and eighth over between 2018 and 2020. Now, he has spent most of his coaching career calling plays for defensive-minded coaches, and I think he gets a bad rep for that. If we look at his last two years in Seattle, he passed the ball over 70% of the time in 11 personnel and over 60% in 12 personnel. His EPA per play, which is a way to kind of think of how efficiently he was in these personnel packages, he was at 0.15 in 12 personnel, which is really, really good on a per play basis. Now, these pass rates and even this efficiency is better than what Kellen Moore has produced over the past two years especially in 12 personnel where he has hovered around a 40% pass rate and around zero in expected points added per play. While McCarthy is calling plays and he says they're going to run the ball more, I think there is a lot more that Schottenheimer is going to bring to this offense who grades out as a better play caller than Kellen Moore since 2016 with a coaching model that I've run. I think the reason this is the case is because these experienced coaches who have been with some of the, the more um, iconic coaching trees they know how to window dress stuff in the modern NFL. And that's so key, especially when you see what Vic Fangio can do on defense. You need an offensive mind that knows how to combat that. Yeah, um, they're, they're an interesting team for me. And like, uh, I, I, again, I just love learning new ways to think about the, you know, how to win in the NFL. And they've shifted to a defensive team, as you guys have been talking about. and. Um, you know, like, and, and I think leaning more in, into efficiency, uh, which makes a lot of sense, you know, as we're talking about um, a, a too high shell world um, where, you know, you have to kind of check down more. Uh, you know, I think it was Tej Seth, um, who, uh, who I think just, just great follow at um, Sumer Sports, uh, did a recent study about, you know, the average depth of target is falling uh, associated with that. So like, yeah, like more, more efficiency, um, I think can, can do a really good thing for this team um and us leaning more into that defense um you know the 12 personnel like you're talking about um so i i think they're super formidable and i i think they could uh could definitely improve they have pretty good skill positions on offense you know the cd lamb and michael gallup and then 
they traded what a sixth rounder for something like that a fifth rounder for Brandon they were absorbing cooks? cook's contract that was the reason why it was such a low pick but yeah no it was it was a good addition for sure absolutely i mean he's a guy who could like rattle off a thousand yards pretty easily no matter what the offense or the quarterback uh, so their receivers are definitely pretty good their starters at least and then for their running backs we are finally free as a tony pollard fantasy owner for the last like five years we are finally free of Ezekiel Elliott stealing Tony Pollard's glory. Uh, they also added Deuce Vaughn in the draft. So uh, the small back committee is a real thing. But uh, in all seriousness, I'm excited to see what Pollard can do as RB1. He's getting, what, 250, 300 touches that were vultured by Zeke. So he should be able to do a lot more this season. Then the addition of Vaughn as a gadget guy should be fun as well. And then they also added Luke Schoonmaker from Michigan, who is a kind of a blocking tight end in the second round. And I think he's a sneaky addition for this offense. I like the addition of Schoonmaker pairing with their starting tight end, Jake Ferguson, who they're really big on, fourth round pick from last year. It's really the offensive line with this team that concerns me. Tyron Smith has played a total of 17 games over the past three seasons. He could still have a lot of great football left in the tank. He's only 32, which isn't ancient for elite tackles. However, if he misses significant time again in 2023, I'd expect this unit to experience regression. This is an offensive line that isn't returning Connor McGovern or Jason Peters from last year, and they were they were huge when Tyron Smith was out because that allowed Tyler Smith to kick out to left tackle. So this, this offensive line still has Tyler Smith, like I mentioned, Zach Martin, Terrence Steele, and they aren't pushovers. It just puts more stress on those guys if Tyron Smith misses time again, which then leads us to the other side of the trenches, which I have very little doubt about. And it's a unit that already has Demarcus Lawrence and Micah Parsons coming off the edge. Now they added with their first round pick this past year, Mozzie Smith, who is one of the more explosive interior defensive linemen in the draft. And as we've seen with Dan Quinn, he's really good at scheming some of these guys with different stunts or different blitz packages to get to the quarterback and really apply pressure. Yeah, Mozzie Smith is just a, a pure athletic freak. And that defensive line is nasty. The, the linebacker group is pretty good. But to me, the secondary is the best unit on the team. They were able to add Stephon Gilmore for pennies. Uh, his trade was pretty similar to the uh, Brandon Cooks trade. I think it was a fifth rounder, sixth rounder. Uh, yeah, so they added him for basically nothing to a group that could realistically start maybe nine or ten people on a normal team, which is pretty crazy. Aside from their clear studs and Trayvon Diggs, who just got extended, and Stephon Gilmore, they have good starters in Malik Hooker, Donovan Wilson, and Jordan Lewis to play nickel corner. And they also have some sneaky good depth. Guys like Israel Mukwamu, who's a good safety, and Deron Bland, who uh, he had to step in last year as a rookie corner. And he had five interceptions, playing kind of a bat, like a backup fill-in role, which is just crazy. Yeah, uh, really great points. I think... Um... They're, they definitely could win the division uh, and it would be a big part of their, their you know, the, the defense's result there. So um, I, uh, I think, you know, Micah Parsons has not really reached his potential. And, you know, like as a Washington fan, I mean, 
I'm still kind of envious. I mean, I, I think we get a lot of credit for our defensive line, but in, in many ways, like they've kind of done what we're trying to do um, with the amount of pressure that they're able to provide on all snaps. Um, whereas I, I think we still kind of have some, you know, some, some growth and some, you know, reaching of potentials. Um, so yeah, super interested, uh, worried, you know, I, I can't stand the, the Cowboys. Um, but, um, I, I, You're I not alone on that one. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> I agree with everything you guys are saying. Great points. Yeah, this is a, uh, this is a podcast probably of, uh, three current Cowboys haters, but, uh, as a whole, I think Dallas has done an excellent job in assembling their roster. They have depth among a lot of important groups that could be starters for a lot of other teams in the NFL. I think it might not be a stretch. And again, if you know me in real life, notorious Cowboys hater, I think it may not be a stretch to say that this team has the best roster in the entire NFC. What do you guys think? This is one of the best three best teams in the NFC right now. I, I without a shadow of a doubt, they're definitely in the elite tier of the conference. They're built to win now. And the only question I think that remains is, did they do enough to get them over the hump and at least playing in the conference championship game this year? And so similar to Schottenheimer, I'm going to kind of touch on McCarthy and his play calling tendencies in his last three years with the Packers. He wasn't shy when it came to passing the ball. He called pass plays on over 70% of the snaps in 11 and over 50% in 12 personnel. And Again, he was similar in efficiency rating as Brian Schottenheimer was in Seattle. So when you look at this, how efficient they can be in some of these heavier personnel groups, I think they're going to want to kind of play uh, ball control on both sides, that they, they can wreak havoc on the defense and they can do what they want on offense. And I think where a lot of the bonehead decisions that we're going to kind of remember McCarthy for are going to be in-game management situations, taking timeouts and doing other things. And when he's taking over the play calling duties, that means he has less focus and attention on some of those head coaching duties. So I think that's what we're going to be nagging him throughout the year, especially when he has pivotal games against the Eagles and some of the other uh, top tier teams in the NFL. Yeah, listening to you talk, uh, Stephen, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking so much about Ron Rivera. Uh, <laughs> you know, just like <laughs> that conservative play style and, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, relying on the defense. You know, I mean, what, what Washington has gone so wrong in that approach is that we haven't had anyone, a, a quarterback, who can, you know, bail us out of those, like, just super archaic approaches to first and second down. So, you know, third and half, third and half to have it, you know, uh, being willing to go for it on you know, like fourth and, and, you know, have to have it. So um, that's where I think, you know, that archaic system has that the Cowboys are doing has a chance to actually work because Dak Prescott can be that guy. He is, um, you know, very smart, um, prepared, accurate, uh, quarterback who can still win a little bit on, on with his feet. Uh, so like, you know, that's a really nice package. You know, it, it just seems cohesive, you know, like that, that doing that right there with like a fifth round quarterback is not a great idea. <laughs> doing that with, you know, Dak Prescott, I like it a lot, you know? Um, and um, yeah, so like filling, filling holes, you know, I, that would be my, my, my kind of closing thought really would be, 
and I, I, I steal most of my, my takes, um, but I, do, I try and if I remember where I get them from, I'll, I'll, I'll get, I'll, you know, give credit. But uh, Robert Mays, you know, said, you know, that's really what he's looking for when he's, when he's uh, trying to, you know, who, say who's going to be a good team. It's which team is filling the holes. Uh, and I think you guys have made a really great cases for, for why they've done that. So um, the, the, they could go as far as that, as far as I can take them, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, they're a really good team this year. And uh, we're saving the the maybe, maybe the best team in the division for last. The Eagles are a team that are suffering from success. They're heading into the season without both of their coordinators from their run last year, along with some other key losses among their starters after they made the Super Bowl last year. On the offensive side of the ball, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, you're good. You're good. Uh, there isn't necessarily a lot of change on the offensive side of the ball outside of losing Shane Steichen. Uh, there are some changes. They have rookie offensive line Tyler Steen kind of filling in for Isaac Samula, who went to the Pittsburgh Steelers this offseason. Uh, DeAndre Swift and Rashad Penny will try to fill in for Miles Sander, who left for the Carolina Panthers. And he'll lead and the league in rushing this year. I'm pretty sure we have a top three offensive line. So he's, he's going from a great situation to, I, I would say even better one. I think our offensive line is a little bit younger, a little bit more um, has more to grow and room to grow. And then the other piece they added, which this really isn't like, this is, this is really off uh, option. Number four in that offense, you have AJ Brown, Devonte Smith, Dallas Goddard, and they added Zacchaeus from Atlanta to kind of play that wide receiver three role. So definitely could expect some big fantasy games throughout him throughout the season, but I wouldn't expect it to be a regular thing. It, it kind of a boomer bust guy. Yeah. Super excited to see what they're going to do this year. Uh, you know, coming off of the offense, we saw hurts, you know, act like a, a quarterback, a man possessed in the, in the, um, in the Super Bowl, And, you know, as, as his cap hits go up, you know, like they're, he's definitely going to need to be more like that guy, more him. Uh, um, but, you know, the thing that, that always amazes me with the Eagles is like, you know, just how aggressive they are with their spending. So, you know, his cap hit this year is only uh, 24 million. I got to pull that part back up. So it's, um, um it's no that's his cash um yeah they're they're super aggressive uh with how they uh structured that and i'll pull that up by the end we're, we're done here it's it's um, really backladen because there's so many void mm -hmm. years on it and it is built to have another extension built into it because they are they are expecting hurts to be the quarterback of the future but whenever you have those numbers uh definitely definitely feel yeah i think jason good. otc talked about it like with all those void years, they they're kind of looking at this at like a five plus four or five extensions, like a ten year extension. Exactly. Yeah, his cap number this year is six, um, but his cash is twenty four. So his cash to cap ratio is about four. Um, yeah. And so you know, they're they're still aggressive. Uh, for the next three years his cap number is lower than 21 and um yeah i mean no one ha i understand has done um option bonuses in every single year you know so they have his base salary for every single year of this contract is the league minimum 
um, everything is is proratable. It always was, it still is, but like they just did it at the beginning. Um, so uh, I, you know, they they continue to spend a, a, a bunch. They're at around two hundred and sixty three million dollars, as far as I can tell. And I'm using OTC's recent cash versus cap study, and I'm. Um, and that's like 111% of the uh, salary cap, and uh, which is right around the, right next to the Eagles, or to the Giants. The Giants, uh, like I was saying, alluding to earlier. Um, but you know, with their draft picks this year, like they they definitely, I think, um, have been able to or are able to transition and, and, and stay aggressive at you know the most important positions on offense uh, and, and defense. Absolutely. And when you're able to kind of open up that uh, freedom in terms of being able to be aggressive over the next two, three years, I think it also shows the disparity between Hertz and Lamar from an NFL standpoint, because and I understand the, the Ravens and the Eagles operate completely different as front offices. But when they're willing to pay so much in those first couple of years, that kind of shows like value. And that's Jason Fitzgerald has really done that with Aaron Rodgers over the past couple of years, just showing the reason why he's regarded as the best quarterback is because he gets paid like it. And you see it with kind of those uh, first couple years, new money and stuff like that in the contract with incentives and guarantees. Uh, you can sometimes, in the case of the Eagles, lose a really good coach and have an assistant step in. And it feels like you almost never skipped a beat. Brian Johnson has been praised for a while now within that organization for the past couple of years. Uh, he's the quarterback's coach the past two years with Jalen Hurts really helped with his de uh, development. And I think he'll keep the offensive humming. Uh, this unit returns the majority of its starters. And I kind of I kind of took Jacob's section. So I'm really just talking about the Eagles. Uh, that's that's me. But I really am excited to see how DeAndre Swift and Rashad Penny kind of take some of those snaps from Miles Sanders. So after we look at the offensive side, we look at the defense and the same exact thing happened. They lose their play caller. And not only did they lose their play caller and Jonathan Gannon, who got hired by the Arizona Cardinals, um, their new defensive coordinator is a guy from the Seahawks, Sean Desai. And he he's he's more of a Vic Fangio cut. He's going to throw in some more exotic looks. And that's going to be really fun to see with some of the players they have on the defense. There is some reshuffling, though. They lost a lot of starters. They replaced some of that in the draft and free agency. And I'm really interested to see how Greedy Williams and Terrell Edmonds pair with Bradbury and Slay. They're, they're cornerback one and cornerback two. They have guys that can kind of lock down the outside. The question is, this year, can they keep stuff across the middle to a minimum? And can they stop the run? Those are the two biggest questions, I think, on defense that we'll have for them this year. I kind of have another question on defense, and it was why did they retain both Bradbury and Slay? I know uh, Jason Fitzgerald at Over the Cap talked about this a lot, and uh, it kind of just seems odd that they would uh, sign both of those guys to big deals when they're both kind of older corners. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, the Eagles' defense, they did lose a lot of guys, but uh, a lot of guys that didn't play last year are in tow, and they're ready to step up. Guys like uh, Jordan Davis from Georgia didn't take – very, uh, very many snaps. Nakobe Dean from Georgia didn't take very many snaps. They drafted uh, Jordan Davis from Georgia and Nolan Smith from Georgia to uh, to play prominent roles last year. So kind of like how we talked about with the Bengals, the Eagles have drafted their reinforcements and they've been waiting and now they're ready to play. 
Yeah, that's uh, it's such a great way to draft. And I, I, I see that in this project that I did, you know, like, whereas I think most of the other teams in the NFC East were focused on filling needs and not accruing surplus value. Uh, the Eagles, you know, kind of did both. They um, got, uh, they drafted uh, high value positions first and second, you know, the defensive tackle and defensive end. Um, and um, then followed that up with two low value positions, the um, right tackle and safety. Um, so yeah, they, they have a way, I think, of, you know, defining what is what's important in like now and in the future and, and being able to build for those because like, I, I guess when I look at um, to finish that thought, when I define need through, uh, you know, what teams are spending and investing in, um, they they're already heavily invested in the defensive line. Um, you know, they that that's a, a, a situation where like they're probably looking towards the future. Um, and you know, it's, it's not a bad idea. It's everyone would say, okay, well, you need to draft for the needs for tomorrow. Um, you know, not today. Um, and, but like the Eagles kind of do that. And that's, um, that's one of the reasons why I think they are so good at drafting, uh, because like they make their mistakes too, but like when they hit, they hit right, you know, and, and, and smartly, um, and their, and their mistakes are like, you know, minimized. So yeah, they are the Eagles. (laughs) Howie does a great job, and I know we've cited him a bunch uh, on previous episodes, this episode, and we're going to keep doing it. But Fitzgerald is pointing out the fact that Roseman loves signing guys the three-year deals and and mm-hmm. signing them very quickly into it. So the thing is, is even if it's a mistake, he usually extends them. They're under probably what they're worth in a case of like a Jordan Mailata. And then he reaps the benefits of that because there's so much surplus value from locking down a player like that for an extended period of time. So it's really cool to see that. And then on the flip side, when you have a head coach who really is kind of like a Belichick prodigy who didn't coach directly under him, he coached under Romeo Cornell, a couple other guys that coached under Bill Belichick, but he hired Matt Patricia this past offseason as senior defensive assistant which makes for a very interesting week one matchup versus the Patriots this year. Makes for some interesting uh, conversations between Darius Slay as well. Yes. Matt Patricia. Yeah, those those two have some beef. So we'll see if anything pops off. He's not the defensive coordinator. He's not like the secondaries coach. Again, he is a defensive assistant. Um, But yes, no, if there's any beef in the locker room between those two, that would not be surprising. And going off another point Jacob made, is that this team has a lot of guys that can get after the quarterback that are on rookie contracts. They have five Georgia defensive players drafted over the past two seasons, bolstering that side of the ball with youth and talent. And they already still have a great veteran in Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham. They have Hassan Reddick, who they signed last offseason. So they still have other guys who are making plays. They have great influx of young talent. And it's going to be exciting to see what they can do this year. Absolutely. They just paid their QB a pretty sizable deal. They're pretty a good receiver tandem in AJ Brown and Devontae Smith. Brought in some uh, running backs to fill Sanders' void. Still have a great O line, probably what top ten, top five, at, like top five probably. Uh, have a good young defense. They've got people waiting in tow. They've replaced a lot of the players they lost. Uh, I know a guy we didn't mention was Sidney Brown, 
that they drafted out of Illinois. He sh- he might be able to come in and start day one at safety. With all of this like kind of combined, the main question is, can they get back to the Super Bowl? Since 2002, and that's when the Texans were added to the league, there have been only three teams to make it to back-to-back Super Bowls. New England did it in 03 and 04, and then they did it again in 2016, 17, and 18. Seattle did it with the Legion of Boom in 2013 and 2014. And then Kansas City did it in 2019 and 2020. So that's my question to you guys. Can they get back after all of this? Yeah, I think so. Um, from my, my cash kind of versus cap perspective, um, you know, they're spending enough that they should be. Um, so we talked about how they structured you know, Jalen Hurts' contract. Uh, so that it's only a $24 uh, million of cash this year. Um, so when we look at you know, their $263 million that they're spending this year, um, you know, a, a, not a very big portion of that is going to the quarterback, uh, only 24. So what they're actually doing is providing about $240 million of cash that they're spending like, on, on like, players, not the quarterback. Uh, and when you compare that to like, you know, other players in the NFC East, other teams, um, you know, like you'd say, okay, I, I talked earlier about how the Giants, the Giants are spending about $260 million this year. Well, 46 of that is going to Daniel Jones. So they only have $211 million surrounding, you know, their quarterback. Um, so, you know, now I understand like... It, we're talking about cash and when you're ever talking about cash, like some of that money is wrapped up into signing bonuses on one year deals. Like, you know, maybe they're signed this year and, 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 and there's like, you know, that could have, there, there are deals like that in the past. Right. So it's always kind of tricky, but um, they're tr- like, I think what we can say from like a, a, a 30,000 foot perspective is yeah, they're spending enough money in an aggressive way and they're structuring their contracts in an aggressive way that, they are probably re, um, as well positioned to uh, bounce back, like maybe more than anyone, like than we've seen. I'm, I'm actually now saying that I'm like uh, on this on this podcast, and I'm like, <laughs> should I have said that? Um, but yeah, I think that's probably fair because, like you know, like the the Chiefs did not aren't big spenders. You know, they got lucky through the draft, and they're they're kind of repositioning. Um, you know, the Bucks had to land uh, Tom Brady. Um, and well, no, they, they, uh, they, I think they spent in their second year, but, um, you know, a lot of things fell apart anyways. Yeah. That, that's my take. I think they, they definitely are, uh, let me backtrack out of that as quickly as possible. Um, well, you're good. Um, I think, I think you made a lot of great points about like cash influx. They are always one of the biggest spenders, especially in recent history, and that helps keep them in contention. I think the biggest thing is, is when you look at a team last year, like the Bills or the Ravens, like I, I predicted, and I can put the tweet out for anybody who has any questions, that it would be the Eagles 49ers in the NFC Championship game last year. I just saw the talent there. But on the AFC side, because like what we talked about, the Chiefs aren't big spenders. They were going through a period of turnover. I expected a team like the Bills or the Ravens, who are big spenders, to also make a splash and make a push, but we saw them get hurt down the stretch and that led to disappointing finishes in the playoffs. So similarly with this, with the Eagles, if you lose a Jordan Mailata, if you lose an AJ Brown, if you lose some of these key defensive contributors, especially like a Darius Slayer, James Bradbury, 
are you going to be able to overcome that when you have to play a team like the Dallas Cowboys, the San Francisco 49ers, maybe one of these up and coming teams like a Seattle Seahawks or the New York Giants, one of those teams that could really make a push. And that's where it comes down to. Can they stay healthy? So I think they win the division. Um, but if they're going to make a Super Bowl push, they have to stay healthy. I can agree with both of those takes. Uh, I think we've rounded up the division pretty well. And I think it's time to talk about some of the key additions to the division. And uh, for our guest, we'll let you go over all the Washington additions. So if you want to kick us off, Colin, who's the number one addition to this division? Well, it's got to be Eric Bieniemy. Um, you know, we talk about force multipliers, and you know, um, there are no like new quarterbacks really, but there is a new offensive coordinator in this division. Um, and you know, if, if like we talked about earlier, if there's any position that you know, like really needs it um, and can benefit from that, it is the offensive line. So I think that, and 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 also like a a, a young quarterback. So you know, if he can um, have the effect that a great offensive coordinator can have on those two um, positions, like he's gonna he's gonna really get a lot of credit as as he should. I agree. I think it's beyond time that he gets credit. And then with, when we talked about the Cowboys, we talked about them filling holes and deepening uh, already strong groups. So number two, we have Brandon Cooks, a uh, guy that they traded for. He's a consummate veteran. He's been with, man, what, four or five teams now? Yep. And he's produced with every single team. I think he's going to produce pretty well for the Cowboys this year as a good probably second or third option for Dak Press, probably third option for Dak, as they look to have a really strong year. And then on the other side of the ball, they added an equally talented veteran, uh, maybe more talented, and Stephon Gilmore, uh, who they also got really cheap. I think he's going to be a really good starting corner opposite of uh, Trayvon Diggs and really uh, be the final piece to that uh, already super strong defense. Absolutely. What Dan Quinn will kind of be able to scheme up with him. He's fundamentally sound, and you love that out of a player, uh, which leads us to player number four, somebody he may actually end up covering in a couple of the division games. Darren Waller from the Raiders. Uh, this guy is a physical freak. He is going to create mismatch issues, and he's going to be a security blanket for Daniel Jones. So love that. Uh, another guy at number five on this list that may actually end up covering him, he may end up playing like a slot role for the Eagles, is Greedy Williams from the Cleveland Browns. So I really like the addition, especially when you saw guys like C.J. Gardner-Johnson and Marcus Epps leave. You, you add another guy that has the ability to produce big plays, and he won't necessarily be asked to cover the, the top wide receiver on the field, which I think is really good. Absolutely. Another uh, former SEC defender that's now uh, playing for the Eagles, Jalen Carter. Uh, as a talent, he was probably one of the top two or three guys in the draft. I personally had him at number two. He's just a, a force of nature. He's going to be a, a perfect start. I think he'll probably start uh, where J uh, Javon Hargrave uh, left him there. He's just going to be a huge force for that defensive line to keep them uh, competitive and a really strong uh, NFC East. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, uh, number seven, uh, Jacoby Brissett, who I just love as a, as a quarterback and, you know, as a player, uh, I, I really was cheering for him before he, you know, came to our team. Um, number 10 in EPA last year, uh, I believe number 12 in PFF passer rating. 
um, you know, he's six four. He's mobile. He did. I think he was about tenth in uh, total EPA gained through scrambles, uh, right next to like Joe Burrow, uh, and that's in limited snaps, of course. Um, so I think he has everything you could really want in a backup quarterback, and you know, potentially more. I I, I honestly thought he should have gotten signed somewhere for about fifteen million dollars, and uh, and with like a, a, a maybe better shot at starting. Um, but with that said, like, I think he definitely, um, impacts the outlook of the team. You know, I don't think there's a, a scenario where the team does very poorly, uh, because I think, you know, Rivera will, will, uh, will turn to Brissett because he needs to win. And, and I think Brissett can win. So, uh, last point, um, he is also great on fourth downs. Um, you know, he's six, four and, and a strong dude, um, and he's got there's like the really funny like video cut up on you'll see on Twitter and it's just like where he says you know it's not complicated you know so um, maybe there's a fourth down package situation that he could be involved in uh, that you know he he would be able to contribute you know without even being a number two. Yeah. Uh, now number eight, we also have another Washington player recently drafted. How do you feel about Emmanuel Forbes? Uh, thanks for asking. Um, yeah. So. I, I love the idea of, um, you know, like, a, like I said, like a mismatched defense, like a heterogeneous kind of like outlook, what you're looking at. So like on the left side, you have, uh, you know, a ball hawk and on the, the right side, you know, like a, a, a shutdown guy that's going to, you know, provide a little something different. And I, I, I think in the past, you, I would approach it more from like, you know, I want everyone just to be, you know, weak links you know, not really having any uniqueness or sharpness to an edge. Um, but like now I, I think with the, the two high shells and, you know, the way that, you know, teams are able, defenses are able to manipulate um, coverages and, and, and squeezing space, I, I, I think having somebody who can be, um, make an impact in what the quarterback is seeing, make them think twice, uh, I think can be really interesting. So, you know, we talk about EPA, the EPA that you can generate off of a, a turnovers like that. That's why Trayvon Diggs got the contract he did, you know, despite giving up everything he did. So um, I, it's a very intriguing pick and, and definitely a, a great addition, a key addition. Yeah, no, I think if this team is going to make a playoff push, he's got to have a pick six or two this year, especially playing behind that defensive line. But Another guy in the division that got added in the draft that plays the same position, and I'm actually a little bit more higher on, is Deontay Banks out of Maryland. He's rangy. He's very long. He's very fast. He almost gives off like Tariq Woolen vibes. Now, granted, he was a late-round pick last year, but kind of that same player where he's just going to be clamps on the perimeter. And I think Martindale is going to get the most out of him in that system. So I'm really excited to see how he plays. Another defender that I think is really, really going to benefit from playing in the system he plays in is Mozzie Smith. There isn't really a true uh, like presence, I would say, in the interior defensive line with the, the Cowboys when it comes to generating a pass rush unless they're stunting Lawrence or Parsons or they line up inside. So to have a guy like him that can kind of create some havoc I think is going to be huge, especially if they want to kind of push themselves over the top and, and make a bid for the Super Bowl. And then that leads us, since we're all wrapped up with the top 10, uh, into our top 10 losses. And the top 10 features a play caller. So Eric Bieniemy was the top addition. Who was the first subtraction on the list, Colin? 
yeah, Shane Steichen, you know, um, I'm a huge fan of the Honest NFL uh, Twitter account. He's a former coach and uh, just gives incredible access uh, to like really all Andy Reid tree coaches, um, but uh, Shane Steichen especially. Um, so just his ability to be creative, uh, building around, you know, the, the talents of his uh, players, um, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm super excited for what, you know, he can do for, for the Lions and that he is no longer in the division. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, another big loss for the Eagles was our number two key loss, uh, Javon Hargrave, the interior defensive lineman. I mean, this is a guy that uh, has been really strong for them since he's gotten there. And then on the other, like opposite him, they had to bring in so many different pieces so loot like including uh, Nandamakan Sue, Linval Joseph, Jordan Davis, and losing a guy like that who can be a steadying presence next to a revolving door on the uh, right next to him is just huge. I think they're going to, although jo- uh, Jalen Carter is a great talent, I think they're going to feel it uh, this year losing him to the 49ers. Yeah, he's a, uh, he, he's great. And, um, uh, number three, we have Kellen Moore, uh, you know, another offensive coordinator. And we talk about uh, false multi- false force multiplier, <laughs> not a false multi- multiplier. Uh, Kellen Moore's truth. You know, I think you guys uh, made a really good point about that um, with his ingenuity and his able to ability to create explosive plays. Um, so, I, again, just super excited that he's no longer in the division. Uh, and... Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what Mike McCarthy can put together. That's probably going to be, um, there's going to be a Delta between those two. <laughs> there, there, there is going to be a change and it will be very intriguing to see that change at number four is another Dallas Cowboy. And it's somebody on that offensive line. So something that I was worried about from the Cowboys as a whole, they lose Connor McGovern. He goes to the Buffalo bills. And I think he is going to provide great interior preference, um, presence for that team so we'll see how much that is missed in dallas uh number five if you're not kind of catching the theme all of the guys in our top 10 losses come from the cowboys and eagles so at five we have cj gardner johnson he departed the detroit lions there was a clip of him i think it was like a tiktok video where he was like playing grand theft auto and somebody asked a question like how he felt about philly he was like ah philly's not that bad but the fans aren't uh all that and so he he kind of trashed the philadelphia fans which is interesting because i know a lot of people last offseason were talking about he was such a great culture fit uh, for that city, that the city would love a player like that. And so for him to kind of come out and go, eh, the fans are kind of crap, uh, was very, very telling and very intriguing. So uh, we'll see how he does in Detroit as they look to make their own playoff push. I think it's the perfect uh, Philly personality. And he did get uh, injured in training camp. So uh, praying for him and hoping he gets back real soon. And another uh, Eagles loss is Ayak Samalu, Sayamalu who we have at uh, six there. He goes to the Pittsburgh Steelers, who we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago. I think he was a really good uh, – he may have been probably the fourth or fifth best O-lineman on that starting O-line, but he's still a really good O-lineman. And losing him, uh, losing any good starting O-lineman, is kind of a thing that you need to replace quick, fast, and in a hurry. And hopefully uh, – I believe it's Tyler Steen, the rookie penciled in at right guard, can uh, fill the void that he's left for the Eagles this year. Uh, and another Eagle uh, loss here is uh, at number seven, Jonathan Gannon, uh, defensive coordinator. 
who has gone to the Arizona Cardinals, um, you know, so unceremoniously, uh, like around the, the Super Bowl and such. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a big deal. You know, I think, um, you know, I think that uh, similar to Shane Steichen, they've done a good job of replacing him, um, you know, in, in that they're bringing over uh, Sean Desai from uh uh, from the Fangio tree, which is, you know, it could be a, a, a similar approach, a similar terminology uh, to everything that, that Gannon was doing. Um, so it, definitely a key loss, but, um, you know, they, they may have done a good job of replacing him. Absolutely. I know a lot of Eagles fans might be celebrating the, uh, the loss, in quotes, of Gannon, but they still had a really good defense last year, and he was a big part of that. And another piece of that defense that the Eagles lost at number eight was their linebacker, TJ Edwards. I know another guy we talked about a couple of weeks ago. He goes to the Bears. He was just a really good uh, presence in the middle of the field where it was kind of the weak link for the Eagles defense last year. So losing him, it's going to be a tough spot to replace. Hopefully, uh, Nicobe Dean can step up. Absolutely. It kind of sucks. And he doesn't make our top 10 losses because Zero White ended up going with Jonathan Gannon to Arizona. So when you lose two guys that were kind of the middle of your defense last year, it's it's a completely new group there. And you hope Dean can kind of pick up uh, where they left off. So at number nine, we have Dalton Schultz. He departed for the Houston Texans. Him and Noah Brown left the Cowboys and stayed in state. And he was he was a security blanket for Dak. Uh, I don't think he lived up to the expectations uh, that he had based on his, the draft capital that was uh, allocated towards him. I think a lot of people thought he would kind of be the new Jason Witten, and that never really happened. He was never that guy. So uh, I think it's a loss, but it's just not that detrimental, especially when they still have um, Shoemaker and they have Ferguson from last year. Absolutely. Even last year, like before they added uh, Schoonmaker, they had uh... – Ferguson and uh, Peyton Hendershot. And they used all the tight ends uh, pretty fluidly, but uh, Schultz did put up the best numbers out of the group. So uh, hopefully they do replace his production at the very least. And then to round out our top 10 key losses in the division, another Eagle who is now a Carolina Panther, Miles Sanders. He was, uh, he was their leading rusher last year. He had a pretty uh, strong year, I would say, probably his best year outside of his rookie year. And uh, while he did kind of fall off towards the end of the playoffs in terms of uh, touch count and play count, they uh, they played Kenneth uh, Gainwell a lot in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl. He was still a pretty important piece. He had pretty heavy production. And he's going to be reuniting with his uh, rookie, the rookie running back coach that he had in Deuce Staley here in Carolina. So hopefully he can pick up where he left off in his rookie year there. And now that we've covered our top 10 additions, top 10 key losses, let's move on to our take section of the pod. And as always, we let our guest go first. So Colin, give us a take or two about the division this year. Yeah, so uh, I'm just going to probably lean back on a tired take, but it's uh, maybe historically uh, rooted, you know, um, NFC beast, you know, like I just think they're going to beat each other up this year. You know, I, I, I think the Eagles, I do really like what they've done, right. You know, the spending, the in, investing, the, the drafting. Um, but as we've, you know, I think you guys did a great job of reminding everyone, like, you know, they've also had a lot of losses, so the, it could, it could take them a while to get going. 
Um, and meanwhile, all these other teams in the division, you know, um, let's throw the commanders in there, um, have improved, you know? Um, so like I could see, let's, let's turn that into a take. Um, I think like everyone is going to finish like within two wins of nine. I don't know. Maybe that's too too, okay. too easy, but like, okay. you know, no, that's fair. No, one, that's no one above 11 and like no one below seven, you know? Um, I like that. And, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's perfectly plausible. Like, that div- this division in the NFC is probably the strongest. I think they will be beating each other up uh, for so many years. Uh, I don't know if you did, since you're a, a fan of the of a team in the division, but fans outside used to call this uh, division the NFC least. But yeah. over the past couple of years, man, they've been building and they've been beating each other up. So I could definitely see like a, a Cowboys 11 and six, almost said 11 and five, but <laughs> games. Yeah. It'll take some getting used to even three years into this, but yeah, Eagles 11 and uh, six Cowboys 11 and six. Seven, I almost said it again. Seven, right? Isn't it seven now? It would be 10 and uh, seven. So 10 and uh, seven. 11, yeah. six, oh, 10 and, five. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. You're <laughs> yeah. You're see, it's going to, it's so mad. Take, years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, just wait till in five years when they add that 18th game, it's going to take even more uh, getting used to 18th. Even though I feel like it's going to be so much easier. Like 17. So uh, odd. It's but yeah. 16 was perfect. It was but like from like a bracket perspective and everything. It was perfect. But uh, going into my takes, uh, my first one is uh, whether deserving or not, I do think Ron Rivera will be let go at the end of the season. Uh, Like you said, Colin, this is kind of the final evolution of his team and the defense in particular. And with with the new ownership and everything coming in, like the uh, front office might be having some changes as well. I just think that they're going to want to get their own guy in here. Uh, we kind of saw it when David Tepper took over the Panthers. Uh, it, it was uh, Ron Rivera had one season. And e- even that season, Tepper was very involved in how the team was actually going to be playing. I believe we switched to a uh, – didn't we switch to a 4-3 that year, Steve? Or it would have been a 3 from four. A four. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we went from that. And then you saw Phil Snow take that yeah. in that rule era. And I think we played really well and really fast in there. But obviously, there's gap concerns, especially in the run game, when you play lighter and you, you play more nickel packages in a 3-4, a 3-5 three, three, system. Absolutely. So you could even see the writing on the wall when Tepper took over that uh, it was Rivera's time. And uh, yeah, I just think uh, this is going to be the end of the line for him this year. And then my second take, uh, I'm going to say this again. Anybody, any of my friends listening in real life knows that I hate the Cowboys. So I'm about to do, I'm about to say something that I've never said before. I think the Cowboys will do something that no one my age or younger, I'm 24 years old, has ever seen. I think that they are a good enough team and that they will advance to a conference championship this year. That is my take. I think they've solidified all the holes. I think their roster's super deep. And with the Eagles' losses and with what the Cowboys have gained, I think is their time. Yeah. No, I, I definitely can't. These are plausible takes. Uh, they'll definitely be perfect if it comes true. If not, we'll definitely have some uh, revisionist history uh, soon to come next offseason. But my take is, my first one, is that the Eagles will do something that hasn't been done since the early 2000s, and they were the last team to do it in the NFC East, and that's repeat as division champions. So I think that even with all this change that's going on, they're such a deep team. 
Uh, they're still led by Nick Sarani. I think Sean Desai is a great defensive coordinator to come in and kind of fill in the shoes for Gannon. Uh, we'll see what Brian Johnson has. Uh, I know the locker room there really loves him, and he's he's familiar with the system. So I, I think they pick up where they left off. And so that leaves us with my last take for this division. And I think Daniel Jones will finish top 12 in EPA per play and some other efficiency metrics at quarterback. I think some of the pieces they added around him, he's going to play more efficiently. And it may not be these big explosive plays that we see from a Mahomes or a Herbert, but it'll be enough to win games week in and week out and put them in a situation where they're in wild card contention and they're on the path to building a Super Bowl caliber team. I think that's super fair. I, to be to be frank, I think all of our takes are pretty. Uh, maybe my take about the Cowboys making the conference championship is a bit outlandish, but I think all of our takes are uh, pretty tame. And uh, to lead into our our last big section of the pod, it's the division standings. So uh, since we have a guest, we're going to let Colin go first again. How do you see the division stacking up? Yeah, I think you make a really good case for the Cowboys, and you know I don't want to be. I, don't, I, I definitely want to heat up. I'm going to put the turn the heat up on my take now. Um, like, you, you know, the, and the Eagles definitely could, you know, do better in the playoffs than they do during the regular season. So I think, yeah, that's a really good take. Um, uh, gosh, I'm gonna, yeah, let's go with that, man. I mean, let's have the Cowboys finish first. Um, people are going to sleep on deck and, um, then I think uh, the Eagles will finish second, uh, and then I've, I've you know, I, I can't rule them out, you know, I, in, in taking um, taking what is given. I think that's so important today in, in the NFL, and I think that's what you know, like good coaching can do for you, and uh, and and like building around whatever you have. So like, let's say you know something bad happens with them, and they have some key losses, like. I like their chances of being able to recover and, and still get a good season together, like more so maybe than like um, than any other team in the division. Um, and then, uh, you know, third, I'll put the Giants. I mean, I think they're, they're probably going to um, be good, but I think they did kind of overperform last year. And, you know, whereas um, – uh, you know, like other teams probably got a little lucky um, or, or, you know, may have got lucky last year. Maybe they'll get lucky this year. And, and um, you know, I, I just think they would need luck, <laughs> uh, much like the commanders, really. You know, like I, I kind of have them, you know, probably like at the bottom together. And um, I'll put them around like eight wins and, and, you know, the top of the division, like 10 and 11. So. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I think I'll land my plane there. I think you were 100% correct uh, in my unbiased take. Uh, I know I've stated <laughs> I, I'm a Cowboys Did I steal take. your take? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, your division standings are perfect, if I say so myself. <laughs> uh, I, too, have the Cowboys being first. Uh, like we talked about, uh, they've made additions for good veteran players that cost them nothing. Their team is incredibly deep. I think they nailed their draft again. Uh, something that uh, Steve and I were talking about last week, the Cowboys have been really good drafters over the past, uh, I don't know, like 10 or so years. They've had yeah. very few blips in early rounds, and I think uh, that's going to come to fruition with them winning the division this year. 
Uh, I have the Eagles in second. They are coming off the Super Bowl loss. So I do think the Super Bowl hangover is a real thing. And whether that's just uh, them, it's hard to get back to the Super Bowl or they lost a lot of talent because they were so good. I think all of that kind of blends into the quote, like the quote of the Super Bowl hangover. Uh, they did lose both coordinators uh, and they did lose like good starters on both sides of the ball. They are still a great team, but I do, th- and probably a top three NFC team, but I do think the Cowboys have closed the gap. And uh, like Steve mentioned in the intro, no team has won this division back to back since 03, 04. So I do have Cowboys first, Eagles second. I do have the Giants third. Uh, they did have a surprising year. That, like I think uh, you you nailed it, Colin. I think they did overachieve a little bit under uh, Brian Dable last year. They advanced to the playoffs. They did win a playoff game for the first time in seemingly forever. The only thing I can think of with the Giants playoffs is the boat picture. So for them to win a, a playoff game and erase that from my mind is a huge uh, a huge win for them. I think Jones will continue to improve under uh, Dable. He kind of needs to, considering the deal they gave him this offseason. But uh, all that aside, I do have Washington bringing up the rear. And I do think Washington and New York will be close. And while the the exodus of the former owner does give the team some extra motivation this year, and Biennemi should be a better play caller on offense, I just don't think they have enough juice to compete with those top two teams. And I do think the Giants are a better coach team all around. Um, plus, Howell is the least experienced QB in the division by far. And I think that does play a factor into ranking the four teams. So I'm copying you, Colin. I have Cowboys, Eagles, Giants, Washington. To to make a point about the Cowboys that hasn't been made, and Jacob, when you, you talked about this team being really, really good at drafting, uh, there's a guy that we follow, Billy Marshall. He's one of the hosts for The Roar. He highlighted this offseason, a point that I think is very important to note, that most of the time at some of these college pro days and whatnot, that two of the bigger staffs that show up are the Cowboys and Bengals. And over the past half decade, almost decade, those franchises are some of the best at drafting guys and developing those guys. So they do a really good job at that. The other thing that we didn't mention about the Cowboys is they signed a bunch of people on their analytics staff. Like they brought in the director from Indianapolis. They brought in some other big names and they know the Eagles have a really good analytics front office. So they are trying to get competitive on nearly every single front in their organization. I love that, which leads me painstakingly to say that, And you guys might be right, but I think this is still the Eagles division to lose. They had seven of our top 10 subtractions for this division, but I still think this team is deep enough to win one of the better divisions. And the Cowboys should be close second, and I can understand all the arguments you guys laid out on why they should win the division. I think they lost key contributors on the offensive line, and Tyron Smith's health is a big question mark. Looking at the Eagles and 49ers defensive lines, even the Giants defensive line, those seem like potential mismatches that could be pivotal for a tiebreaker advantage down the stretch. The Giants should be a wild card contender as Dable's system is going into year two. They haven't lost Martindale or Kafka, and I think that's really huge. Uh, then that leads us, and it's been the bottom feeder, but they have a lot of promise going forward. They have almost $80 million in cap space next year, new ownership group. But at the moment, I think they the commanders just have too many glaring holes on the offensive line and not enough depth uh, if they experience injuries at different positions to make that playoff push. 
I still expect Rivera to have these guys playing competitive week in and week out. But like Jacob said, I think at the end of the year, uh, we're going to see him gone from the commanders. And this may be his last head coaching stint as we know it in the NFL. So to kind of recap this part, Colin has the Cowboys, Eagles, Giants, and Washington Commanders. I have the same list, Cowboys, Eagles, Giants, Commanders. And Steven has the Eagles winning the division, Cowboys in second, Giants in third, and Commanders bringing up the rear. Uh, Before we go to our Panthers section, I want to thank Colin for joining us. Uh, He brought a, a ton of insight to this division. Uh, both in terms of the commander's knowledge overall and the the cap and cash spending, I think it was a very good perspective for us. So, Colin, you can go ahead and plug yourself uh, and talk about what you're working on uh, before we move into our Panthers section. Uh, well, yeah, just thank you for the kind words. Really appreciate um, you know you guys having me on. Love what you guys are doing, um, you know, with the analytics and the podcast. So. Um, wishing you guys the best of luck. Hope to be back on at some point in the future. Um, you know, like uh, my my experience kind of these days is uh, like all over the place. I've done some projects on the cash over cap, so follow me there, please, uh, on Twitter. Um, and my uh, blog is at mofopod.com. Uh, that stands for Middle of Farm Open. Um, no, we know what it stands for, guys. We know what it stands <laughs> for. Now I'm just messing with you, Colin. I, I love the handle, uh, Mofo Pod. You can find Colin. Uh, he's got a lot of great content. And uh, if he's not pumping out the content, this guy is great at retweeting phenomenal content. So he is an excellent follow. He makes sure that everybody that's uh, connected to him is up to date on some of the best information out there. Appreciate you, Steve. Thanks. Absolutely. Now, Jacob. We're heading to a training camp for the very first time this year. What what can we look forward to with the Carolina Panthers? Yeah, I'm super excited for uh, training camp. And as of today, this is a, a Tuesday. We're a week plus one day into the Panthers training camp. We see some pretty good uh, highlights so far. Uh, our linebacker signing of, and I hope I pronounced this right, uh, Camus Gruger-Hill. Uh, he played for the cardinals and uh eagles previously we signed him mainly as a special teams guy but he's been making a lot of plays on defense i think he has like three or four interceptions and i think all of them are on andy dalton so uh (laughs) up andy dalton maybe but uh no i'm just playing he's been a very good uh very good playmaker in the middle of the field for our i think our second team defense and then another highlight i want to point out bryce young has looked like not like a rookie QB in training camp who's making a lot of mistakes, but he's looked a lot like a just a veteran QB, you know, making the right plays, uh, threading the needle, uh, making some good deep throws. He's made a lot of good deep throws to uh, DJ Chark, who is kind of looking like our wide receiver one this year. I know a lot of people thought it might be Adam Thielen. You know, he was the biggest name we signed or guy like Terrace Marshall, a guy we were waiting to blossom, or Jonathan Mingo, who we drafted at 39th overall, so pretty high draft pick. But I think if DJ Charks can stay healthy the full year, I think he's going to be the guy that's our wide receiver one this year. And then the last thing I wanted to point out, uh, Kobe Jones. He's a guy that's, uh, he wasn't a part of the 53 last year, but he came in for OTAs. He plays edge rusher, and he's been making plays every day consistently. I think he's registered a sack. Like Obviously, they're not going to let Bryce or Andy Dalton or Matt Corral get hit, but he's registered kind of a sack play 
every single day of practice so far. So he's been very consistent. And that's a guy that Panthers fans should uh, keep an eye on if you are following training camp. And that's huge. Marcus Haynes is currently right now out with, I think, a lower back injury, Mm -hmm. which is huge. DJ Chark to go off that uh, Kitty Lit podcast, another Panthers podcast out there. He drew the attention that last year DJ Chark was 10th in DVOA as a wide receiver, even with missing six games. I think the biggest knock on Chark isn't what he brings to the offense. It's whether or not he can stay on the field healthy. So I think he's going to be a huge plug and play. Bryce, I think one of the better stories I heard about him so far was actually from Bozeman where he came in and he he was talking about protections with the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Like he was, he was giving the presentation. Like this kid's a rookie giving a presentation to his offensive line on different protections and stuff. And that just shows you his acumen and his knowledge of knowing what needs to happen. And to do that as a rookie is so, so phenomenal. Like I, I don't think people grasp how how mentally aware and astute you have to be to be able to pick up on all these nuances so quickly. Well, I wanna I wanna run off that real quick. Back at Alabama, he would uh they'd get the game plans on uh like on Sunday after the game for the next week, right? Because they play on Saturdays. He would be Monday morning with in the meetings. He would have the entire game plan annotated with the red pen and have uh, like kind of additions or things that they should be looking for for the game next week. This is a guy that's, he's a bookworm. He's a football nerd. And to have the respect of not only the players, but the coaches like James Campen, you think James Campen's just going to let anybody give a presentation to his O-lineman? No, like Bryce has to have garnered the respect of some of these guys really quickly. So it's a really good thing to see. Absolutely. I think that was one of the reasons why he supplanted Andy Dalton as a starter so quickly. Like there was no question. There was not like, oh, there's a competition. It was no, this guy's the real deal. We we drafted him number one overall for a reason. And leading into this, this is on the other side of the ball. But we have a star edge defender who is up for a contract extension. Now, Nick Boza, He's currently holding out a training camp, waiting for that new contract extension. Our guy and Brian Burns, he actually showed up to training camp. Why? Because he wears that C on his chest and he wears it very proudly. He understands his his role in this defense. He understands how other people in this defense look up to him. And he's rightfully earned that captain patch. Um, I believe he could get a deal similar to Crosby's when he does sign, uh, which would put him roughly about a hundred million. Uh, it would be a hundred million dollar deal over four years, uh, which would come out to an annual average value about twenty five million a year. So, if I had to say anything about the guaranteed money, I think he'd be around sixty million. Another guy on the defense, I don't know if he's going to get extended this year, but it could be an extension looking at next offseason was Jeremy Chin. He shined in his rookie year, absolutely balled out, and it was the runner-up of the defensive rookie of the year to Chase Young, a guy that we should, talked about. Should have won it, by the way. Should have he, won it. He should have. He he had that uh, phenomenal game against the Vikings that got um, unfortunately ruined by Teddy Bridgewater, but that's neither here nor there. Um, he has uh, been able to – quite follow that performance up though in his rookie year and i think that was because they put him in a lot more coverage situations um not only last year but his second year so when we've added xavier woods we've added von mel they're signed through 2024 it's one of those things if he underperforms again in year four i'd expect him to take a one-year prove it deal or test free agency Uh, i think if he shows out and he balls out in evero's system He'd sign a deal around, I want to say about $5 million in annual average value next offseason. It could push 10. It just really depends on his value. Again, I don't think he's all that great in coverage. 
Um, so when you look at guys that are enforcers like him, like a Von Bell, that's where it's like that five to seven million range. And since we already brought in Von Bell, that's where he needs to actually show his worth. Couldn't agree more. I think uh, I think Chen is similar to a guy that we talked about way in the beginning of the pod and Cameron Curl, same draft year. Uh, while Cameron Curl's, I think, more of a leader on that defense, they're both extremely versatile and smart on that back end and can do a lot of things. Uh, in regards to Chen's future with the team, you said like we brought it, we brought in Xavier Woods two years ago. We brought in Von Bell this past offseason. We brought in Eric Rowe, who can play nickel at a high level. We draft a guy like Jamie Robinson out of Florida State, who uh, plays a pretty similar role to Chen. He, you know, he's a thumper who can play a uh, big nickel. He can drop into coverage or drop down into the box. Uh, I think uh, Chen's going to have to play really well this year to get that uh, big extension. And leading into that, uh, training camp's been going on for over a week, like we said. We put out our projected 53-man roster about a month ago when we started this series. And uh, looking at some potential changes to that 53-man roster, I do think Kobe Jones, who we talked about, the edge rusher, has made an argument to be at the end of the 53-man roster. I know a lot of fans, myself included, have talked about uh, signing a Jadavion Clowney, a uh, unique Ngakwe, or maybe trading for a guy like Daniel Hunter before he uh, signed his extension uh, a couple of days ago. But um, I think Kobe Jones has made enough noise to where the team might feel fine with the edge rushers that they currently have. And he could be a guy that's in that rotation, uh, or at, at the very least is a protected practice squad player come week one versus the Falcons. Speaking of the Falcons, uh, we did sign Dion Jones yesterday. You know, the we former uh, division rival linebacker. I know uh, a lot of Panthers fans should know this name. You know, Falcons fans, they used to say he was better than Keekley back in the day. Oh, uh, those. Yeah, I want those fans. I want their their home addresses, social security <laughs> numbers, all that stuff. Yeah, th that was a bit of a craziness. But uh, Dion Jones is finally playing for the good guys. I think he signed a one year deal. And I do expect him to be on the 53. Uh, they wouldn't sign him just for like a practice squad body or something like that. I do. He did uh, play a prominent role for the Browns last year. So I do expect him to be there. Uh, we talked about last week when we were talking about position battles, wide receiver six and five as well. But I think uh, Chenault with his versatility is going to lock that up. Wide receiver six is still up for grabs. Uh, we talked about how Derek Wright had a good rapport with uh, Young in OTAs. But a guy that's been making plays in training camp, uh, Josh Van went to South Carolina. Uh, we have another South Carolina wide receiver on the roster in Shai Smith. But I do think that last spot is going to come down to who kind of gels the most with Bryce Young and the first team offense, who kind of is in sync the most with them. And somebody like Josh Van making plays in training camp can play a big part in that. Uh, we did have some other signings other than Deion Jones uh, along the wire, some movement. We brought in people along the interior defensive line in LeBron Ray and Nick Thurman. Both of those guys have played for the Patriots in the past couple of years. LeBron Ray actually was a guy last preseason that was wreaking havoc on our, uh, I believe, our second O-line unit um, in that Patriots preseason game. He's finally uh, playing for the good guys. And in return, we ended up waving Bravion Roy, the defensive tackle. He was a, a Matt Rule player. He played at Baylor for him. But he did, did end up making uh, quite a few plays. You know, he had that interception on Lamar Jackson last year. He did. So 
wishing him the best wherever he goes. He should uh, be on a roster like very soon. Uh, I think he's uh, he's a pretty good guy. And uh, the last guy that we signed was Jake Luton. He is a quarterback who used to play for the Jaguars. And his very first pass play was a, I think it was like a 73-yard touchdown to DJ Chark. So he already has some rapport there. I assume we signed him to take some uh, preseason uh, snaps off of uh, Andy Dalton and Bryce Young's shoulders. I would expect that Matt Corral and Jake Luton play most of the preseason with Bryce and Dalton playing sparingly and probably like either game two or three. That would be my guess. Absolutely. Now, like you said, Kobe Jones has really stepped up. We drafted DJ uh, Johnson out of Oregon. We do have a couple other guys on the defensive line that can step up from the edge position. So maybe we don't throw five, $10 million at a Yannick Nagakwe, a Jadavian Clowney. And instead we go more with maybe getting one or two secondary pieces. So maybe we go out, we get like an Anthony Brown, who's an unrestricted free agent, somebody like that. Um, I think Kyle Fuller still is those guys that are obviously like in their thirties, but can still provide some vet presence and be a solid presence next to JC Horn on that defense. Because I don't know if Dante Jackson's the answer, maybe Keith Taylor stepping up. I just haven't heard enough from our secondary to where that would be kind of where we'd address in free agency moving forward in the preseason. Absolutely. So, uh, and before you close out, uh, yeah. CJ Henderson seemed to be off to the side today. So our already uh, kind of iffy corner room is taking some hits. So I, me personally, I would like to see some corner or secondary uh, investment into the end of training camp. Absolutely. I think, I think we have the guys at safety. I don't think that's an issue. Like you said, we brought in Eric Rowe, Vaughn Bell. We already have Xavier Woods and Jeremy Chin. It's really just making sure that we can cover the wide receivers yeah. that, are, that are getting spaced out across the field. So with that, um, I'm going to touch again on Kobe Jones. Uh, he's shown enough promise. I think he'll supplant maybe Jalen Redman, uh, who's currently on the pup list, uh, to making the final 53. Uh, that may be how he slides in as we have an extra edge defender rather than interior a uh, guy like Deion Jones can provide depth at a thin position uh, because really outside of Frankie Louvu and Shaq Thompson, I'm not going to say we have anybody to write home about. Bumper Pool is a intriguing rookie, but it's somebody you got to develop. It's not necessarily I can just hit the field running. And um, yeah, those are, those are two guys I could see making the 53 that we didn't initially have. And that about wraps it up for Hear Us on Perfect Takes. It has been a very long episode. We are well over an hour and a half. I think when we make some cuts, it'll it'll go down a little bit more. But glad to have you guys. Uh, next week, we'll be joined by special guest Joseph Hefner to discuss the AFC West. He is a great follow on Twitter at, I think, Joseph Heffy. Uh, he's a Chiefs fan and extremely ecstatic uh, that they brought home the Lombardi Trophy this year. So that'll be a lot of fun to get into. We will be, I think, airing that late Wednesday night, early Thursday. We've been usually posting these on Tuesday, but we're we're going to be airing uh, live, not live with him, but we'll be airing stuff with him Wednesday night. So tune in next week and we'll catch you then.